CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, we're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We've got a big show for you coming up. These guys behind me getting ready while they're doing that. Here's what's coming up. The hottest stock of the year just plunged into a bear market. But if you own the name, Mike Co. has a way to protect yourself. Plus, that sums up the home builders, which just saw their worst losing streak ever. But the chartmaster says the charts have gotten so bad, they're good. He'll explain. And banks, which kick off earnings next week. And Dan Nathan says there's one name that could run into trouble. He'll tell you how to profit. It's time to risk less and make more. The action begins now. And let's get right to it because as rates surged this week, housing stocks got absolutely crushed. The XHB Home Builders ETF sinking uh, for 13 straight sessions, its longest losing streak ever, now down more than 20% from its January high. This is a 10-year yield hit its highest level in seven years. But the chartmaster says the housing charts look so, bu- so bad, they're actually good. Carter, take it away. Yeah, I mean, sometimes things get overdone to the upside, and obviously that could be the case uh, to the downside. The actual S&P 500 home building index is down 32.5% over the past nine months. You can see it right there. That's a fairly extreme uh, give back from what was a euphoric moment. So this is the actual aggregate as constructed by Standard & Poor's. And there was euphoria. And I think this is the reciprocal. It's despair. So just as in principle, sometimes it's right to sell extreme strength, it is right to buy extreme weakness, something what we're talking about with GE. Let's move forward and put in some lines and some drawings. There is a well-defined trend line here for this index, and we've come down to it for the third time. And my hunch is is that we are going to get a little bit of a bounce. So I want to play for that uh, off the line. Let's look at it another way. We are also down to support, the level from which we broke out. Two ways to draw uh, support, a trend line or... Um, again, a retracement to the breakout juncture. I mean, that's exactly where we broke out and we've retraced the entire move. So this is the interesting thing. Um, if you were to look at the end of last year of the 55 iShares, that's a, a lot of ETFs, it was the best performer of 55 at the end of last year. Here it is. I've just given you the top three. Semis, of course, were in that group, software. Number one, people loved it in December. Here we are nine, ten months later, and guess what? It's the worst performer. People loved it at the high. It turned out to be exactly the wrong thing to love. Guess what? They hate it now. It's probably not right to hate it now. My hunch is there's bounce potential, just as there was sell-off potential. So the ETF itself, it's 47 stocks, 527 billion. It's a mere 2% of the S&P. Let's look at the ETF that you can actually trade. We are so far below the 150-day moving average that I think you get a rebound here. So, again, ITB, it's the iShares. I want to buy this for rebound. It's hated. But remember, it was loved at the exact peak. Sometimes it's better to take the road less traveled. All right. So, Mike, what's the trade? Yeah, so this is kind of interesting because, of course, we have seen some signs that there's weakness in some sectors of the real estate market. I think New York 
perhaps Los Angeles, San Francisco. Then you see that combined with something like rising interest rates. And you also see housing at maybe the peak of the affordability index there. So it's obviously very hard in those markets. But then you take a look at the constituent stocks of ITB. Names like DR Horton, names like Lennar. And where are these guys actually operating? You know, for the most part, they're not operating in those markets. They're operating in places where there is still increasing housing demand, places like Texas, Georgia, North Carolina, and Florida. And the secular push, I think, for housing in those markets could continue to support home building. Amazingly, DR Horton right now has only recently achieved the same level of revenues that they had before the housing market crash that we saw. So going back to 2006, I think we can keep the trade really simple here, looking for a bounce. I specifically was looking out to January, the 34 calls when I was looking at this earlier today, $1.45. This allows us to be nimble. It allows us to roll into a spread if we should so choose and to mitigate our risk to the downside in the event that what we're seeing right now is just the beginning. But I, I'm inclined to go along with Carter here. I think this is a way we can trade it very simply. Yeah, I guess if you know you didn't have that technical setup, you'd say, well, maybe given how poorly the home building components in that ETF act, that you maybe want to press it because maybe this is the time where you see rates busting out to five-year levels that maybe you start to see the home builders get hit below that uptrend. And I just make one other point. You know, Home Depot, Lowe's, they make up almost 10% of the weight of the XHB. Home Depot doesn't act well. It's down about 8 9% from its highs. It looks like it made a double top, not too different than that mm -hmm. S&P double top you are just detailing earlier. So to me, I think if you're going to play contrarian in housing right now, given the devastation that we're seeing in similar groups that are associated with the consumer on the high-end purchase level, you want to define your risk. You're risking about 4.5% of the underlying, but you're giving yourself plenty of time for it to play I, out. I think there's a very good chance, obviously, that this could move 4 or 5% much sooner, actually, than the January expiration date we've chosen. And the other thing I would quickly point out, I think you're right about some of the discretionary stuff like the retailing Home Depot and Lowe's and so, and so on. As opposed to the ITB. Oh, that's the true, ITB. Yeah, ITB. But, you know, they're, <laughs> they, those do, those do, they do exist in ITB also, but it's not yeah. as much of an issue. But I will also point out that that, you know, the home builders themselves operate a slightly different business model, actually a materially different business model than they did before the last housing crisis. They are not as vulnerable as they were the last time. And so if you are inclined to play for a bounce, I think you can here. And the interesting thing is this. Guess what they did at the end of the day? NVR, the biggest one, closed up. Lennar mm. closed up. Uh, Pulte, meaning it felt like a capitulatory low. So, again, this is a trade. I mean, yeah. does it mean you're out of the woods? But I'd rather, just as it's maybe wrong to chase it at the high, I'd rather not be despondent at the law. All right. Now to a group of stocks that's actually getting a boost from the rate spike, and that is the financials. The sector rallying more than 1% this week, but it could be judgment day for the space as the first big bank earnings kick off. J.P. Morgan, Citi, Wells Fargo all report next Friday. The options market implying a 2 or 3% move in either direction for those stocks. Dan says one of those names could run into trouble. Why don't you walk us through? Well, I, I think a lot of them actually could, but I think uh, Wells Fargo, we're going to focus that, on that one in particular um, because I think that this has really been the kind of the ugly redheaded stepchild of the whole group. They got regulators over them. They've had two years of just nonstop scandal, and they've had some issues as far as the sorts of uh, lending that they can do relative to some of their money center peers. But, you know, this one to me is the worst performing one. It's down 20% from its 52 week highs made in January. It's down 12.5% of the year. It actually, trades expensive 
expensive to Bank America and a Citigroup, um, and I don't really see the prospects for these guys. I do have um, a two-year chart here, really since late November uh, 2016. When you look at this thing, it really looks like it's poised for at least a move back to $50 on poor guidance. And let's just talk about what Mel just said. Why did the gr uh, group rally this week? Well, we saw the 10-year Treasury yield break out to five-year highs. We saw the two-year not get crazy, right? So that spread between the twos and tens that everyone was really worried about inverting actually got a little wider. And that's how these money center banks make some money. I suspect you know, through lending. They borrow short and they lend long. I suspect, kind of like what I was just getting at about the home builders, we're seeing the home building stocks trade really badly. We're seeing the auto stocks trade really badly. Wells Fargo is the sort of guys who make these loans. If we don't see good guidance for the end of the year, I think Wells Fargo goes back to that neckline on that head and shoulders little formation. That would be 50. I think you look to October expiration today when the stock was trading at 53.15. You could buy the October 53.50 put spread, paying 80 cents for that. You're buying one of the October 53 puts for a dollar, selling one of the 50 puts at 20 cents. It breaks even at 52.20. You can make up to 220 uh, between 52.20 and 50. That's your max gain there, and you're risking 80 cents. So you're risking about one and a half percent of the stock price to maybe make three extra money if you get a move back to 50. I just don't think there's going to be a whole heck of a lot of great news in the space between now like, and the next few weeks. I like the structure for two reasons. One, you've targeted a level, which is that 50 level, which is where you're selling the, the put short. The other thing is that you know, this is a name where options premiums are slightly elevated. Certainly they're elevated relative to how much the stock has been moving. So when we talk about the price of options, the implied volatility right now, Wells Fargo, probably about 23 with a realized volatility of about 15. So with the upcoming catalyst of some bank earnings next week, that's one of the reasons you're going to see that elevated premium. I think that's why using a put spread here makes a lot of sense to make that type of bet. And the key to this is obviously you've gone after the weakest. You started out yeah. uh, with that, and that's important. We have an area of the market that's controversial. I mean, even on the desk just now, people, some people like, some don't. But the key is that you get a move to 325 on the tenure and banks can't move. That's a problem. And this is the weakest of all. You've targeted the 50 level, which is a technical level. Makes perfect sense to me. So for the charts uh, of the what some would consider the strongest, let's say a J.P. Morgan, do they look any better? Well, they're better. When he, that's Dan's point. I mean, this is particularly bad. J.P. Right, Morgan right. is held up better. But if you take a look at J.P. Morgan, for instance, I mean, basically would you all like that the banks, chart? no, they're all slumping. The, the investment bank and brokers in particular, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, even the big ones like BlackRock, uh, they've all, uh, T. Rowe, they've all slumped. They've all got uh, issues. And it obviously, the market is saying that whether the cycle has changed or whether the, they're not going to get a benefit from rates. For everything Options Action, you can check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. While you're there, sign up for our newsletter. Carter says it is the best thing since sliced bread. So what are you waiting for? Here's what's coming up next. Advanced Micro taking investors on a wild roller coaster ride, plunging nearly 20% from its high three weeks ago. And Micro says a bigger drop could be ahead. He'll lay out the trade. Plus, calling all Options Action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at Options Action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when Options Action returns. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. 
Welcome back to Options Action, the hottest stock of the year, Advanced Micro, turning ice cold, sinking nearly 20% from its high just a few weeks ago. For more, let's get to Josh Lifton in San Francisco. Josh. Melissa, AMD's hot streak has cooled and then some. Check out the chart. That stock just posted a weekly decline of 11.5%. It's worst in about a year, coming under pressure following that update we got from rival Intel, which, remember, said it should have enough supply to meet its full-year revenue forecast and said that it's making progress, too, with its next-generation chips, so-called 10-nanometer chips. Then this week, analysts publishing, publishing notes, and not all of them were so positive. The team at Baird downgrading AMD to neutral in part because they think expectations for PC share gains from Intel could now be too high. Still, even after this drop, that stock still up more than 160% so far this year. And remember, it's certainly not just AMD. The semi-sector in general has been under pressure. Look at the SMH, a drop of almost 4% this week. Its worst week since April, down more than 10% from its March high. Analysts chalk that up to a range of factors. They know heady valuations, escalating trade tensions, and mixed data points. Yes, the PC and data center markets are strong, but there's been a slowdown in China markets, they note, specifically autos and industrials. I checked in with Rosenblatt's Hans Mosesman. Now, he remains an AMD bull in part, he says, because Lisa Su's company, he thinks, will take share in the server market, capturing 5% in Q4 and continuing to gain ground after that. Melissa, back to you. All right, Josh, thanks. Have a great weekend. Josh Lipton in San Francisco. So if you own AMD, what should you do? Mike's over at the Plasma with his call to action. Hey, Mike. Oh, there. Yeah, so actually this isn't just a trade for somebody who might own AMD, but somebody who might actually be bearish on the stock, thinking it's going to go a little bit lower. The problem right now, if you want to do something like just buy puts outright, is that puts are incredibly expensive because the stock has been moving around so much. So the other thing we can try to take a look at here is whether there is some level at which you might be willing to get long the stock. So taking a look right here, we can take a look and we can see that the stock has certainly fallen off a decent bit, but the level that I'm specifically interested in is right around here, right around 18 bucks. This seems to be where we had that big breakout before the stock took off. So that's the level that I'm going to be targeting here. And why don't we take a look at the structure and why we're putting it on. So we go over to the trade. I'm just looking out to November. Right now, when I was looking at this, you could buy one of the 26 strike puts for $2.25. Then I want to sell two of the 22 strike puts for 85 cents each. Net-net, I'm spending 55 cents to put on that structure. The idea here is that, one, we're trying to reduce the very high cost of buying that put. As you can see, it costs about 8% of the strike. And that was with the stock trading about $27. <laughs> So here we're going to make profits from 26 down to 22. At that point, because we are short two puts against the one that we're long, we actually are going to be put the stock. And our profits are going to start to trail off until essentially at 1855. That's where effectively you would get long the stock. But think about how much of a decline that is relative to the $27 price of the stock right now. We have earnings coming up 23rd of October. The stock typically moves about 7 to 8% in the three weeks leading up to it and can move as much as 16 to 18% in about the three to four weeks that you've got until expiration after that time. So that's the reason we're, we're looking at this, risking about 55 cents if it goes higher. But the whole idea here is to take a look at those levels and reducing the cost. And then finally, just taking a look at the probability, because the stock's moving around so sharply, there's actually 
quite a high probability that the stock could hit 26 sometime between now and November expiration. The probability that it hits the strike that we're short, though, is significantly less, even though it is this volatile, even though we have earnings coming up. And then that level down around 18 bucks, which is where effectively you would get long the stock, there's actually a pretty low probability that you're going to see it down at those low levels. So the idea here is to make a bearish bet, keep our premium down, and focus on these probabilities to basically give us a better chance of success. What do you think of this trade? So you start out by saying, you know, um, if you're long, the stock is, is something against it. I actually really like this trade um, because Mike just laid out that 25.45 down to 18.45, uh, that, that range is so massive. So if you were to put that on as protection against a long that didn't cost you a whole heck of a lot, I like that. And under the worst case scenario, you'd get put the stock basically down below that $22 strike price to me, that makes a whole heck of a lot of sense, and especially in a name like this that's up 150% uh, on the year. Um, so I like this trade against the long if you're looking for some protection near term or in worst case scenario, kind of taking a little premium. I think one principle that's important, obviously, when a group is strong, semis were stronger than almost anything uh, over the past two, three years, and then the group stumbles, a holdout ultimately succumbs too, right? So that this stock was resisting the weakness that's been in effect for basically the past six months. And now finally you're seeing it in NVIDIA, you're seeing it in uh, AMD, and the bet is that it's lower from my point of view. I would say 20 bucks is what's coming. Well, so 20 bucks, we're still going to see profits on this. I mean, and that is a pretty significant decline. Yes. I mean, we're talking about better than a 20% decline is what you're looking at. Right, Maybe within the next uh, 60, I 90 mean, days. Uh, there's, the downdrafts can be so so fierce when you've been up this much. It was $1.75. Think about that, right? In January of 2016, we appreciate all the way to 34. It's down 22% from its peak already in the past week and a half. It could easily do 15 or 20 more. I mean, to his point, this, those are the types of moves that we've typically seen in this stock in and around earnings historically. The thing that I'm taking a look at here, though, is that because the options are so expensive, and this doesn't just apply to this stock, but actually whenever you're trying to make directional bets, when you start seeing implied volatilities get as high as they are in stocks like AMD, 70% or more, it's very challenging to simply buy a call or buy a put to make a directional bet and make money. Because as you saw here, an at-the-money caller put is about 10% of the stock price. Wow. But sometimes it's the right thing to do and sometimes you kind of out you know smart yourself in something like this because would you, you do that here well, instead uh, of this no, trade? You, you know why I wouldn't do this as an outright bearish uh -huh. bet because if you had a quick 20% downdraft move you're actually going to lose money on this so I'm just saying mark to market you know let's say too much time to expiration and then you're like wait I got the direction right but I got the strategy wrong so that's why I, I like it against the long if you're looking for that protection um, because then you're willing to wait it out until expiration if the stock goes down there still ahead. Retail stocks posting their worst week since February, down more than 5%, and there could be an even bigger breakdown ahead. We will explain. Plus, got a question for one of the traders. You can send us a tweet at Options Action. If it's a good one, we might read it later on in the show. We are live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. More Options Action right after this. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action. Time to take a look back at some of our open trades. Two weeks ago, Dan made a contrarian trade on bonds. 
think we could see a sort of sell the news on long dated yields here. We've seen the TLT, that's the 20 year bond ETF, has had a pretty precipitous drop since August. Here's the trade being contrarian. It's kind of a sell the yield news next week into November when the TLT was trading at 117 today. You could buy the November 117, 122 call spread, paying $1.25 for that. Well, we saw what happened this week. The 10-year yield soared to its highest levels in more than seven years, sending TLT tumbling. What do you do now? Yeah, so, you know, I was just dead wrong, right? So I tried to be contrarian. I tried to define my risk. That's what we were trying to do with options. And one of the things that was really interesting is that options prices were really cheap. So I paid $1.25 for a $5 wide at the money call spread. Now the TLT has gone from 117 to 113 and that call spread that costs 125, maybe you could sell it for like 35 cents. I just think as a rule of thumb with long premium directional trades, you wanna limit your risk. Once you're down about 50% of the premium, that's when you wanna cash out. Because at this point, I don't think it makes sense to cash out. You might wanna give it a couple weeks for um, a, you know, a move back just a little higher and then try to get it out for 50% of the premium. All right, moving on. Also, just last week, Carter and Mike bet against the rally in retail. Here's what they said. What's really important is that every single time we have gotten to this downtrend line, we have failed. It's not a good setup. Uh, I don't like it. I was just looking out to December. I was looking specifically at the 51.47 put spread. That $4 put spread, when I was looking at it earlier today, would cost you $1. Nice call. Retail stocks plunged to a four-month low this week. So what do you do now, Mike? What do you say? Right now, that put spread, which was a dollar then, is about 210. I actually still think there's a further weakness ahead. I would be inclined, though, to close this trade and roll down the strikes. Right. So this was so aggressive to the downside, and it's such a popular area of the market. It was at all-time highs, as was the market itself. In principle, there should be follow-throughs. So I want to stick with it on the downside. All right. Up next, we got your tweets and the final call. Time for a tweet. Jeff asks, what is your best recommendation to begin dipping your toes into the world of options? Professor Coe. Well, you're starting out well. Watch this show every Friday. Secondly, I would pick up my book if you can, The Options Edge. And finally, usually the most common first trade for options traders is selling covered calls against stocks they own. Dan loves that book. It's a I do read, love that right? book. It's great. No, absolutely pick it up. Time for the final call now. Carter Braxton Worth. Paul Miller, so bad they're good. Playing ITV on the long side. Mike Coe. By calls and ITB. Dan. Yeah, so if Wells Fargo reports next week, 25% uh, of the weight of the XLF. If you don't want to play a single name, I think you can play XLF puts into next Friday. Again, the name of your book, Mike? The Options Edge. Very good. That does it for us here on Options Action. Check us back here next Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money starts right now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.